Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kim Marcellus, Senior Editor of McKnight's Long-Term Care News. Medicare Advantage has been all over the regulatory radar in the last several months, with CMS trying to get its arms around issues like prior authorization, interoperability, and payment audits. Meanwhile, this looks to be the year that MA plans outpace traditional fee-for-service plans for the first time ever. That means even more pressure on skilled nursing providers whose contracts with these plans haven't always been favorable. Today, I'm joined by Susie Mix, a managed care expert and licensed nursing home administrator who has a unique perspective on the impact of aggressive MA plan strategies. Hi, Susie, and thanks for being here. Hi, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start with where we are and and the inroads that plans have made in the skilled nursing environment first. Uh, We saw a report earlier this year that enrollment in MA plans passed 30 million for the first time. Where do we stand on penetration nationally? And what are some areas of the country where you expect consumers will continue to flock to those plans? So let me just start off by saying, ugh, um, penetration is gone crazy in our states with Medicare Advantage. Out of the 64 million enrolled in in Medicare, 44% of those are in Medicare Advantage plans. That's huge considering we were at 30% about three and a half years ago. So growth is continuing at an expedited pace. Uh, We have some states who are averaging over 50% penetration. Um, We have counties that have, so for instance, Minnesota, the Atkin County is 81% penetration in that county, highest county in the United States, and it continues to grow. So again, we have several states that are at 50% or over, Michigan, Connecticut, Alabama, and several others that are near. So um, definitely continuing to grow. Uh, We had a 6% growth Uh, in Medicare Advantage plans from 2022 to 2023. So again, all numbers are pointing to significant growth. As far as where I think we're really going to get a huge increase, managed care plans, they're really smart. They're not going to go into states where they think they're not going to grow. So on average, a senior has 43 different Medicare Advantage plans they can pick from. So they turn 65 and they can turn look inside and see about 43 different plans um, on average. Some states, and this is where I think our growth is really going to come within the next year or two, have 75 choices for Medicare Advantage plans. I know, huge. Um, Again, these these health plans are smart. They're going to go into markets they think they're going to get a lot of growth from. So those states are Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania and Texas. Um, So a lot of health plans moving and getting aggressive in those states. And I feel that's where we're going to see the most penetration the next year or two. So we won't even dive into the consumer issues. I'm not near 65, but I can't imagine how challenging that is. But let's definitely focus on what all this means to the provider. A couple years ago, I wrote a piece about penetration. I think we were looking specifically in Oregon and how high the numbers were there. And one big provider was telling us, we're just not going to deal with these plans anymore. We're not going to accept their their, um, beneficiaries. It seems like there's no way to avoid those patients anymore. And it's obviously not the patients that providers want to avoid, but but their plans. Um, so so tell me a little bit about if there is any way to avoid and, and why, you know, what are the pressures that providers are under, why they may, might want to limit it even if they really can't anymore? 
Yeah, that's a, a great question. There's that old adage, you can hide, you can run, but you can't hide. Um, in this case, you can't even run anymore. Uh, every state uh, you turn to, every county, is, again, the numbers are increasing. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, there really isn't um, a facility that can operate for the most part. And I'm talking more metropolitan than I am um, rural, but rural also is, is getting hit by managed care. Um the reality of it is, is if you don't play the managed care game or if you don't get involved into managed care um, and admit patients, um, you, you probably will not survive much longer. Um, ask me this question 10 years ago. You can get away with uh, avoiding these managed care patients or, or plans. Um, fast forward to now, 2023, there, there isn't, in my opinion, a viable way to be successful running a, a skilled nursing facility without working with the managed care plans in your area. And, and can you talk a little bit about the ways that plans pressure the providers? Um, I, you know, I've obviously heard payment uh, is an issue. There's kind of two sub issues that we'll get into, but but let's focus on payment. Um, I think you told me previously that per patient day payments are trending downward. Um, and obviously, we're not starting from a high level here anyway. So how can providers maybe look at payment, avoid by bad contracts and fight for ones with better terms? Yeah, so um, there's a lot to say about the reimbursement right now, about the PPD. So if you look at your P&Ls um, and you just look at the PPD line, um, there was just a report out stating that our PPD number, so our per patient day revenue numbers for managed care is going down. So, which wouldn't make sense, right? We, we are providing more services, I'm sure. Um, we are seeing more acute patients. And so those numbers should actually be rising. But what we're seeing is that we are getting less reimbursement. Um, there are quite a few things that fall into that category of why that's happening. Um, some of it the providers put on themselves and some of it is just um, the health plans uh, getting wiser or getting tighter on their reimbursement. For instance, one of the big pieces that it's affecting our reimbursement right now is that a lot of the plans who are traditionally paying us PDPM, which is the Medicare rate, those rates are actually going away. Those health plans are saying, we're not going to pay you PDPM rates anymore. We're actually, actually going to be paying you level rates, which means you have to level the patient appropriately. And those rates are unfortunately significantly lower than our PDPM reimbursement. So right away, we're getting a discount there on our reimbursement, which is, is really a big punch to the bottom line. And can I just ask, Susie, for, for the uninitiated, are levels based on some of the same factors as PDPM? Because obviously, CMS set that program up with certain intentions, wanted that integrity represented throughout their payment. You know, is MA getting away with something by, to, by going to levels instead of PDPM? Uh, I would say 100%, and I'll tell you the reason why. is because every health plan has a different level definition. So level one for Humana, for instance, says one thing. A level one for Blue Cross Blue Shield says another. Um, for HealthNet says another. So the reality of it is, is that um, we are working with um, different levels. Each definition is different for level one, two, three, and four for every health plan. So again, we can have very high acuities in, in level one on some contracts and the reimbursement just doesn't follow. Um, we're still getting paid a, a significantly lower than if we were to take a patient with those exact same needs that we're getting, we would get reimbursed PDPM. And probably lower still than fee for service on a traditional payment uh, of PDPM. Very challenging. Okay, so 
what do you recommend to folks that you work with? How do you identify if you're being underpaid? You know, obviously, if you're going to even try to negotiate for better contracts, you have to have some data, some information to inform your position. How, How do you recognize where you're being shorted potentially? Yeah, I think the most important piece here is that we are looking at our contracts on a yearly basis. Um, We should be renegotiating our contracts every year. We should not be signing contracts unless we're forced forced to. Um, We should not be signing contracts that are higher than a one-year term, which means we have the ability to go back to the health plan after a year and renegotiate our rates. I think that's number one. Um, I know that skilled nursing facilities, they are just pressured by all all places, you 360, you turn around and everyone's pressuring you. You've got survey, you've got families, you've got regulations, you've got so on and so forth. So sometimes those managed care contracts, they just lay in the back burner um, and don't get touched for five, six, seven years. The problem with that is that your reimbursement stays at, at rates that are seven years old. So that's number one is really take a look at your contracts and really make an effort to get those renegotiated, to get those rates up. That's certainly going to help. Number two, and, and this is really new within the last three years, we've had two very large health plans, actually three very large health plans, go from PDPM reimbursement, which is higher, uh, to levels, which is lower. So we have to definitely check our operations and make sure that we know how to use the leveled contract. What does that mean? That means, P, that means MDSs are no longer king. Uh, we always depend on our MDS to get our reimbursement. That's how we do it through PDPM. Uh, we know PDPM in and out. Well, when you change to levels, that all changes. So just making sure operationally we are set and ready for level uh, contracts. Extremely important to make sure there's somebody there checking levels, capturing exclusions, capturing the correct level so our reimbursement follows. Okay, let's spend a minute talking about the other big issue. Obviously, if you never get the pay- the patient, you're not getting the payment. Um, delays and denials. Um, certainly, there's been OIG, uh, CMS, many regulators talking about taking a, a deeper focus on this issue. Um, but is there any way for skilled nursing providers to protect themselves on that front? So say they have a potential referral, but the authorization takes too long and the patient decides not to seek skilled nursing care. Um, Again, tips or tools for those providers who see that happening? I feel like this is a a scenario that has played over for the last 15 years. Um, (laughs) We have um, the push-pull from the hospitals who need to get the patient out. We want to bring the patient in and make sure our our due diligence is done. Um, The only thing I can tell you is that relationships make a big difference here. Having that relationship with the hospitals and the health plans are, are key. No matter how you have to do it, what you have to do, get an administrator involved, get a key marketer involved. Um, It is not always feasible for that authorization to come in. There are delays. And in a lot of instances, we lose the patient waiting on those authorizations. So developing, number one, a a very efficient steps for admissions in getting the patient in, costing the patient out, getting that authorization. And number two, relationships, building those health plan relationships where in the event a patient is going to come in without an authorization, which I do not recommend, but it does happen, that you have that relationship with the health plan to reach out the next day and get that authorization so you're, you're not losing that patient. And on the denial side, the complaint I hear frequently is that 
when you are denying uh, or when you're denied payment by the MA plan, that to then appeal that, you're appealing it with the MA plan, that that's really challenging to win those. Again, any tips on if, if you do get denied, how to fight for it and potentially win? I'd have to say documentation is key. Um, a lot of times we are missing some of the documentation that is key to getting us, helping us to get paid. Um, you're right. We are sending the appeal to the folks who just denied us. I mean, it doesn't really make much sense or give us much hope, but we do have to follow that process. Um, I did also read that recently that they are really looking into um, denials uh, from the health plans that the actual federal government is looking at this because there's been a lot of folks complaining about delays or a denial of services that should really have not been denied. So I don't want to give false hope to anybody, but I, I was happy to hear that they are looking into it because it's definitely a problem. I will say that documentation has saved a lot of denials from, from going through um, where we're able to show that we've provided those services um, or that we've spoken to this person and we have this authorization number or whatever the case may be. And so I would say definitely focus on documentation and then hope that, that the federal government will be taking a look at, at some of the erroneous denials that are happening. Yeah, I think we'll be watching that closely, too. Very curious to see uh, what the result is. Uh, I know there are several rules on the table, but how much impact they will have. It, it always takes a while to, to filter out. So, Susie, thanks so much for kind of uh, recapping the landscape and the challenges for us and for spending some time here with us today. Uh, as I mentioned, McKnight's continues to cover MA plans and how those regulatory changes affect providers. So stay tuned and thanks for joining us today. For McKnight's, this is Kim Marcellus. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit mcknights.com.